Okay, let's go ahead and grab a seat, if you would. Again, we have one more Friday night. That's next week. And then we have the holiday schedule, break for some weeks. Father, we come before you in the name of your glorious Son. Father, again, we just thank you that your eyes are upon us, that your light shines upon our hearts. And Holy Spirit, again, we recognize your presence here. We so value you. We declare our need for you, our hunger for you. We honor your presence, Holy Spirit. And we ask you that in our weakness, you would touch our minds. Give us living understanding. You would empower our hearts. And we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. And amen. Well, tonight is session 12. And uh, our interns, this is our last session, so really I'm putting session 12 and a bunch of session 13 together in one, se in one session. I'm not going to cover it all tonight, but it's in the notes, a bit of it. It'll be ex more notes next week with more detail to it. But I just gave a little bit so they could take it home and kind of have the whole of uh, John chapter 14. Paragraph 1, I always like to give a little review, but this one, this review is too important not to repeat. This is absolutely uh, core central to the teaching of Jesus, of John 13 to 17, which is the greatest teaching ever given at the human race. Paragraph A, Jesus connected his promise to answer prayer to the spirits empowering them to be able to love him by the power of God. He said, ask anything you want, and then the next thing he said is, if you love me, you'll obey me, and the Spirit will help you in the next verse. So last, in our last session, I encouraged uh, people, it's, I think it's really important to pray the prayer of faith. Focus your faith on the anointing and the grace to walk in the first commandment. That's not the only thing we do, but it's real popular and common, and it's good in the body of Christ to focus our faith on getting blessing on our circumstances, getting our body touched, economics to increase, favor and power on our ministries, et cetera, et cetera. And those are all biblical. But I say make those number two and cause your faith, exercise your faith for the anointing to walk in the first commandment. That's really what he's saying, but we said all that last week. But I, I love saying that. Paragraph B. It takes the power of God to love God. It takes God to love God. And so when we lean into the power of God, like, Lord, we're hungry for it because we want to love you by the power of God. As I said last week that Jesus defined loving God as deeply rooted in a spirit of obedience. The call to love God is the point he repeated most in these five chapters. The call to love God and to love God through obedience is the point he emphasized the most in these five chapters, which is the greatest message, the greatest teaching.
Jesus never apologizes for calling people to obedience. Sometimes preachers do, and, and I understand the human dynamics. It's like, oh, we don't want to be heavy, you know, but sorry, uh, we, we got to say no to that stuff. And what we have to understand is when Jesus calls us to embrace certain things and to resist other things that are difficult in the flesh, he's contending for our greatness and for our liberty. He's not like trying to put a little sugar on the bad news. He's saying, no, this is the way to liberty. I'm actually contending for your greatness. When he calls us to serve him, faithfully in ways that are in our flesh are like, ah, oh, that's not very exciting, or to resist other things. God has chosen obeying him, embracing obedience and resisting disobedience as the theater of which we express our love to him. He says, that's the arena where you can show me in this age, because you only have, we only have this temptation and this tension for a very, very small time of our life a fraction of 1% of our billion years. We're only on the earth for 70 years, 80 due to strength, for one small fraction of your life, which will go on for billions of years. Can we express love in this tension by embracing things that are in our flesh, serving him in ways that we don't really like, and resisting things that our flesh want to do? He says, you are shouting to me your love for me in a weak and broken world. Now, every person has a different personality. Every person has a different life circumstance, meaning everyone has a different struggle. Every single person, there's not one person that's exactly in the same struggle as the other person. But this is our unique and different assignment to offer our gift of love to him. And we only get to do it for a few years on the earth. Because in a minute, I don't care if you're 10 or you're 100, in a minute, you're going to be with him. That's what David said, like a shadow passing so quickly. And you'll be billions of years in the age to come. You'll say, oh, 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 I'm so glad in that moment. I took advantage of that opportunity to express my love. Paragraph D. John 14, verse 12 to the rest of the to 27, he's giving details of how we participate in that transforming union. He's called us to union with God or abiding in Christ or intimacy with God. Different ministry groups through history have called it different things. Some called it the transforming union, the mystical union, our heart and God's heart connecting. Others call it intimacy with God. Let's look at, 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 at the uh, next Roman numeral. The Holy Spirit empowers the redeemed. That's the focus of chapter 14, verse 16 to 18. Jesus is so zealous that we love him that he sent the Spirit to supernaturally help us to do it. In verse 15, he says, love me. Verse 16, he says, I pray to the Father, and he will give you another helper. And this other helper will abide with you, will live with you. The word abide means live. He'll live with you forever. That is staggering in its implications. That the Genesis 1 God, the Spirit, who is as much God as the Father and the Son, who was brooding over the earth in Genesis 1, 
will live in us and be on us forever. The angels can't say that. That statement is so big. I just, well, I just stutter before it going. The uncreated God is with me and in me forever. Forever. It can't ever be undone. No. I think I have it made. This is good. Wow. And then Jesus locks into a real important issue of the helper, the Holy Spirit. He goes, he's the spirit of truth. Because the issue of truth or the issue of discernment will be the, at the very forefront of the battle with darkness is the issue of discerning truth. The enemy wants to accuse, diminish, obscure truth. So it keeps our heart in bondage. But the spirit of truth is one of the primary ministries and manifestations of the Holy Spirit, not by any means the only one. But that's at the very forefront of the spiritual battle that the earth is in right now. What is truth? He says, verse 17, the world can't receive him. And says this very unusual description of why they can't, I mean, a reason why they can't receive him because they can't see him. They can't see the Holy Spirit. That's an interesting idea. And they don't know, they don't have relationship with the Holy Spirit. They can't see the evidence of his activity and they don't know him. They don't have a conversation, a relationship with him. They're not on speaking terms with him. But you know him. You're on speaking terms and we'll look at it in a moment, and you have the ability, if you pay attention, to see evidence of his activity in your life. Even though much of the evidence are whispers and subtle impressions and things you, not obvious right away, but the Spirit's saying, that's me doing that. Pay attention. Jesus said, you have a relationship. You're on talking terms with him. You're in a connected, committed relationship with him, and you can actually see him if you pay attention. For he dwells with you, that's one thing, and he dwells in you. Those are two different things. Now Jesus restates the same blessing in essence of the Spirit, but he restates it in a different way. He restates it in family terms. He goes, I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. I'm going to come to you. That's in family language. We'll get to that in a few moments. Let's go to paragraph B. Jesus makes a very significant statement that we could miss. He goes, I pray the Father, meaning I pray to the Father, that he will give you the helper. Now, why does Jesus have to pray that the Father would give the Spirit? Because the Father's already promised to give the Spirit. It's already been their plan from eternity past, from, from before Genesis 1. But Jesus says that's the way I relate to the Father within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father has the plan. I speak it forth, and then the Spirit manifests himself. So the fact that Jesus is still in the place of intercession, and then we know that at the right hand of the Father, he continues in intercession for us. But the point, I, I, that one point he's making here, he's not trying to, boast about his prayer life to them. He's saying, 
if I need to pray for promised blessings that are guaranteed to come, well, then that's the model for you because he's really modeling what life, relationship to the Father, in how humans relate to the Father when anointed by the Spirit. That's what he's really modeling. He's saying, I am a man anointed by the Spirit. This is how I relate to the Father. Now, he's fully God as well, but he's giving them insight into how they're going to relate to the Father from now on. And it was earlier in Luke chapter 11. Jesus said, how much more should you ask the Father for the Spirit? Now, it doesn't mean you're asking him every time for the initial experience of the Holy Spirit in your life, but the idea is that we ask the Lord, the Father, for greater measures of the Spirit's activity in our life. And here Jesus is at the Last Supper. He's doing that. And he goes, how much more should you be doing that as well? And if you ask for more Holy Spirit activity, if I do, and I'm modeling it to you, well, then you, you want to do that because there's great gold, there's glory, there's great blessing in what I'm telling you right here. Again, he's not just kind of mentioning that he has a dynamic prayer life. That's not what he's pointing his attention to. He's modeling what a man filled with the Spirit, how he relates to the Father, because that's what they're going to be doing from that night, I mean, from then on. He says, paragraph C, the Father will give you another helper. Now, that word another is a key. We'll look at that in a minute. But here's the idea that Jesus is communicating. That the Father has set us up for success. It's really true. Jesus is saying, he has given you the ultimate helper. There is no way you can go wrong if you develop a relationship with him. I mean, in the, I mean you can make mistakes and you can stumble and you know, have a, a, a bad day and a bad week and those kinds of things, but he goes, in the, the overall of your life, He's setting you up for success if you will develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit is like Jesus said, ask the Father for the Spirit for a greater measure of his activity. The Spirit will help us to the degree that we talk to him and ask him. We want more Holy Spirit activity, we talk to him more. There's a phrase I've used over the years that the way that you walk in the Spirit the way to walk in the Spirit is to talk to the Spirit. That's really, if you talk to the Spirit, you will walk in the Spirit. Ideas will come to you. Motivation will come to you. Doors will open. Now, in this passage, what Jesus is setting forth, because he's telling the, these apostles that tonight, all of you are going to deny me and, or stumble tonight. You're going to flee and abandon me tonight. Every one of you. You're weak. But I'm telling you, there's help. Now, they don't think they're weak yet. They have more commitment. Peter had more commitment, had more confidence in his commitment to Jesus than in Jesus' commitment to him. But that was going to turn around pretty quick. Right now, they're thinking, hey, I'm sure we need help. Of course, we want the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is thinking, you're weaker than you have any idea. But I've, I've already got the answer. We've thought it through thoroughly. The Father has set you up for success. Weak people, look at these verses here. You can kind of read them more carefully on your own. Weak people, like them, like us, we can do miracles, verse 12, 
Pray in a way that the God of heaven answers, verse 13 and 14. Have the power to walk in obedient, loyal love, verse 15. Experience manifest presence of God, verse 21 to 24. Be taught by the Holy Spirit, verse 24 to 25, or 25 to 27. All of these because Jesus has sent the helper to us. In other words, here's the point. The lifestyle of walking with God intimately is not out of reach to weak people. That's the point he's making right here. It's within reach. That's the declaration of John 14. It's within reach. If you are intentional about developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the top of page two. Now Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, the Father is gonna give you another helper. That's an interesting word, another. Now the word helper, most of, I mean, you've heard this over the years, and if you haven't, you're gonna hear it over and over and over because you just hang around a while if this is new. It's the, it's the Greek word paraclete. And if that's new, you go, I'll never remember paraclete, but you'll hear it so many times as you hear Bible studies and study the commentaries or read books, paraclete, it's the Greek word for helper. Well, that's the New King James. If you're reading, the, if you're re reading uh, other translations, it's a counselor. Another translation, a comforter. Another translation, the advocate. It's all the word, the paraclete. So if you're reading, say, oh, the comforter, oh, the comforter's not my Bible. That's because they translated the word that Bible translators, they translated it counselor or advocate or helper. But it, it all encompasses all those words. But it's not actually the Greek word comfort. It's the one that comes alongside to help you. Now, now notice here, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on this because you can study this out, but I think you want to. The term refers to a legal counselor. When it says counselor, he's not talking about a, 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 like a marriage counselor. That's, that's not the idea. It's like a, a legal counselor at the court where the, the guy is being charged in the court for, with a crime and the defense attorney is his counselor. He comes alongside and tells him how to get out of the trouble he's in. It's a strong legal term. It's your defense attorney. It's the one that's gonna speak up for you. The one that's gonna give you the answers that you can't figure out because you don't know the, the court system. So this is a big term here. And I have a, a, a bit on that in the next couple of a paragraph or two. You can read on your own. But this is a, more, it's more than a warm, fuzzy word, although it is warm and fuzzy. He, I mean, we get comforted, but he's saying, I'm gonna stand up and speak for you, give you the right ideas, get you, give you the way out of the trouble. Now, I'm gonna speak up for you before the Father's throne, before men, I'm gonna stand in your, in, as an advocate for you, the Holy Spirit. I mean, we really want to know the Holy Spirit in friendship. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. He says, we fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He says the same thing in Philippians 2, verse 2. He goes, we fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We have a friendship with him. Well, paragraph 2, the Holy Spirit is, this, is another paraclete or, or helper or counselor or advocate. Jesus is the first paraclete. When he says, you're getting another one, they might say, well, who's the first paraclete? Who's the first advocate? He goes, it's me. 
I'm the one been speaking up for you the whole time. I'm the one giving you the answers. I'm the one standing with you. I'm the one showing you the way out of trouble into blessing. I'm the one that's been doing it for three and a half years. They were not all with him that long, but the other paraclete is now being introduced because Jesus is going to die the next day. But the title paraclete, advocate, helper, counselor, Comforter, whichever word you want to use, that title is Jesus. Uh, Jesus continu uh, continues to describe Jesus. I'll say it that way. John later in First John chapter two, he goes, "Jesus is our Paraclete. He's our Paraclete in heaven before the Father, and the Holy Spirit is our Paraclete on the earth." We have two of them. Paragraph three. Jesus intercedes for us before the Father, that's Hebrews 7, 25, and I would say Romans 8, 34 would be another passage to put in there. Jesus makes intercession for us forever. But the Holy Spirit, he makes intercession for us and through us. It's, it's a unique relationship. The Holy Spirit prays for us, but the Holy Spirit also prays through us. Paul mentions this and. Romans chapter eight, verse 26, he says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we don't know what we should pray, there are, are, are times when the Holy Spirit will touch you and the manifestation of it will be groanings too deep for words. It's not speaking in tongues. This is not tongues, although I greatly value speaking in tongues. That's not what this is. There are times, you can't make this happen. You can't. I've seen folks, which I don't mind this, but I just encourage them to uh, maybe not approach it that way. I've seen folks, let's get in the room and let's all groan in the Holy Spirit. Like, That's not exactly how it works. You can't turn this on and turn this off by scheduling it, you know, at 10 o'clock on Thursday morning, let's go in the room and let's all groan in the Spirit. And again, I don't mind that people do that, but having experienced this a number of times over the years, I know that it's something bigger than that. And that's the point I'm trying to make. I'm not trying to criticize the other because anytime people are trying to go hard for God, I'm happy for it. <laughs> but I'm saying that something actually more powerful that's bigger than us turning the switch on and off, the Spirit comes on us. It's one of the greatest gifts the Holy Spirit can give you. When that touches you, give yourself to it. Don't cut it short. That's the Spirit praying in you and through you, and you don't even know what it is. But it po Probably you've got the idea, the burden in your mind, but you're weeping and groaning, and that's what's happening. And it's too deep for words. It's, it, it's not something that's uttered. It's not, you know, uh, uh, articulated. So what the Holy Spirit does, he prays for us, just this a little... Little overview, he empowers us, he teaches us, he comforts us, he guides us, he speaks up for us. He does all of these things, many more. The point being, we really want a friendship and a fellowship with the Holy Spirit. We don't wanna just read our Bible and kinda get some Bible information. We wanna read the Bible and talk to the Holy Spirit when we're reading it or talk to Jesus. Or the Father. We want to talk to the Spirit. That's the key to walking in the Spirit. The Spirit's in you. He lives right in your spirit. Or King James says, right in your belly, in your inner man. That's where he dwells. Like the Shekinah glory, like the, in the Holy of Holies in the temple, the Shekinah glory, like that, 
You know, like the, uh, uh, the, the way I picture it is Moses saw the burning bush. That bush was burning. Well, that burning bush, that fire is in the Holy of Holies, in the temple of the Old Testament. That fire is actually in your belly, in your spirit, in your inner man. Talk to him. He's not out there. He's actually inside. You talk to him, he'll talk back to you. Be the most wonderful thing to discover if that's a new idea to you. It's been one of my uh, most pleasurable, enjoyable, helpful, inspiring parts of my spiritual life is to talk to the Holy Spirit. Open the Bible and say things to the Holy Spirit who actually lives in your spirit, right there in your belly, or talk to the Father on the throne. You, it, uh, you'll run into the right thing. You just start talking. Some say, am I talking to the Father who art in heaven or the Holy Spirit who dwells in me? Both. Don't worry about it. Just start talking. I kind of go back and forth and around and sometimes just in the air and I go, whoa, wait a second. I want to talk to a person. I don't want to speak to the air. Well, paragraph E, the God of Genesis 1. I mean, the Holy Spirit is as much God as the Father and the Son. He's in you forever. I mean, again, I've already said it. That is stunning. And the idea to the apostles that in the Old Testament, the Spirit came on certain kings and prophets at certain times or a priest for just a task, and then the Spirit would lift. But Jesus said, this isn't like the Old Covenant. This is a whole new thing. I'm going to the cross tomorrow, and I'm uh, paying the price for the New Covenant. It's a whole new reality that you're not even aware of. The Spirit's going to be with you forever. The implications are glorious beyond anything we can comprehend. Paragraph F, the spirit of truth. The Holy Spirit, Jesus identifies the helper in verse 16. He goes, let me tell you about the helper, the paraclete, or the advocate, or the counselor, or the comforter, whichever word you want to use there, but it's the paraclete. Let me tell you about that paraclete. First, he is a spirit of truth. Not only, he's more than that. But foundational to what he does to you is that he reveals truth to you if you have a genuine relationship with him and you develop that relationship with him. Because the Satan is a liar and a deceiver and obscuring truth is what he puts more energy in, in my, in my opinion, than anything, whether he's accusing you or accusing someone else, he's telling you lies about yourself, about God, about history, about the Bible, about Jesus, about the future. He lies all the time, and truth is what makes our heart alive and empowered. And Jesus says that the paraclete that's coming foundational to who he is in his ministry to you. He is a spirit that reveals truth to you. I mean, he empowers your, you lay hands on the sick, he empowers you too. He opens and shuts doors, circumstances. He does many things, but truth is, is absolutely foundational and core. That's the first definition Jesus gives of him. He says the spirit of truth. He goes, let me tell you, he goes, the world can't receive him. Because it can't see him. It can't recognize his activity. Spirit could be moving right in front of them and they can't see or moving, even touching them. They could not recognize it. They can't see it. Often the spirit's activity is subtle, though very distinct, but still subtle. It takes spiritual insight to see it. And 
And, 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 and I'm not talking about super saints that only, you know, like one out of a million, can you say, oh, nobody can, but I can. I'm not talking about that. I know people who kind of set themselves up as can see what no one else can see. And that's not, I'm not talking about some elite thing. I'm talking about being able to discern the Spirit's activity, his impressions on your body, in your mind, in your heart. He speaks hints and dreams. He answers uh, prayers in ways that we go, wait, there's more meaning to that answered prayer. Wait, Holy Spirit, talk to me. He goes, where there's whispers, there's subtle whispers of that. Talk to me and you'll see my activity there. And the world doesn't know him. They don't have a relationship with him. They don't have a love relationship with him. They're not on talking terms, but you do him. You do because he's with you and he's in you. I have here in paragraph F, the spirit guides us into the truth about God. That, that, I mean, that's not the only thing, but there's nothing we need more than truth about God. God is so beautiful, so kind, so brilliant, so good. And yet, because we can't see him with our natural eyes, and there's so many lies about God in the culture and even in our darkened understanding. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about our understanding is darkened, Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 4. But when we become born again, little by little, we renew our minds. And the truth about God, his goodness, his beauty, his indescribable wisdom, the plans for goodness that he has for us. He tells us the truth about the word. I mean, there's so many layers of truth to the word. We'll be reading the same Bible and being wowed and wooed by the same Bible a billion years from now in the resurrection. The, the word that you have in your hand has so many layers, it will never be exhausted even a billion years from now. It, was, it is forever. We'll say, you mean, I mean, here we are a million years from now. Lord, you mean you knew that back then? He goes, oh. Yeah, wait for another million years. You're, you're going to be even more blown away. The dots keep connecting, and it keeps exciting us forever. I, I remember, I mean, it was, it was sweet, but it, someone says, some young person said, oh, man, I want to be like you. You know the word so well. And I knew what they meant. You know, I know the difference between the gospel, an apostle, an epistle, and a, and a pastor, you know, those things. But anyway... And I thought for a second, I thought, Holy Spirit, you know that they're just little peewees. I don't really know it very well at all. And the Holy Spirit, like, yeah, you got it. <laughs> you barely know. You know it a lot better than you did 30 years ago, even 50 years ago, but you're the beginning of the beginning of it. This thing is way deeper than you know. And I don't say that when someone says that. I just go, thanks. But I think, I know that you know that I know that <laughs> I'm a peewee. But I'm hungry. I want to, I want to, it just keeps unfolding week by week, month by month, year by year. He tells you the truth about his will in your life. But the problem is it's layered. He tells you a fraction, just a little piece of information. Then some months go by and he adds another piece of information. He says, well, you could have given me that a couple months ago. He goes, well, I got a lot more pieces. I'll give them to you little by little. I'll give you this day your daily bread. Like, I've asked the Lord, just give me like a year's worth of bread, just once. Just give me the whole thing once. No, 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 I'll just keep feeding you all the time. Surprising you, amazing you, causing awe in your heart, just giving you a little more fragments of insight into my will for your life. He gives you the truth about your personal life. You know, the Holy Spirit knows everything about your finances and how to make them work. Everything about your physical body and how to make it work. 
Everything about your diet, everything about your schedule, everything about your relational patterns. He knows everything about everything about you. And he goes, if you talk to me, I'll give you insight. I won't just give you Bible truth. I'll tell you about your life, your heart, your pain, your joys, your future, your personality, your diet, your fatigue, your anger, your joy. I'll tell you about all these things, fragments of information, if you ask me to. Let's look at paragraph G. He said, the world can't receive. I've already commented on that. That Jesus highlighted two aspects of the Holy Spirit's ministry that the, unbeliever, that the unbelievers can't receive. They can't see or know him. They don't have a relationship. They can't see his activity. They, they can't recognize the activity of the Spirit when it's right in front of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, The natural man, meaning the unbeliever, brilliant intellect, but they don't have spiritual life. They don't have Holy Spirit life. So they can be as brilliant, I mean the greatest scientist, the most brilliant person in the world, but without spiritual, without the Holy Spirit, they can't see obvious Holy Spirit things right in front of their eyes. First Corinthians 2.14, the natural mind, the unaided human mind cannot perceive spiritual things. The unaided human mind, it takes the Holy Spirit to see it. Now, as, as you've walked with the Lord, some of you months, some of you years, you're seeing more and more and more, and it's more natural. You're going, hey, I can see, I can see. You couldn't see that beforehand. And there's so much more you're going to see in the days to come. He goes, paragraph H, but you know him. Believers can recognize his activity in their life and the lives of others. They perceive his activity, his works. His whispers in our heart are just in certain activities. He does something and we say, that's like the spirit. That's like a whisper of the spirit. He's hinting. Let's focus on that for a moment here. He gives it prophetic impressions. And the more we pay attention to them, we want to stay alert to them and pay attention to them. Just the more dynamic the journey is. Because we can see him, the evidence. We can't see the, the spirit, the essence of the spirit, but we can see the evidence of his work. Yeah, I can, you know, look across the prayer room and someone's, their eyes are closed and they're just countenances. They're just engaged. I go, the Holy Spirit, I can see the spirit on that person. Look at it. Someone else, I mean, it's obvious, might go, you know, someone who doesn't even know what I'm talking about, I go, what do you mean? Well, look, that's not just a serene look. Or somebody, they're reading the scripture and a tear's coming down their face and the Spirit's touching them. Those are little whispers and there's so many of those kinds of things. I don't want to go into the how to pay attention to prophetic uh, impressions because that's how the spirit of prophecy works so much with subtle impressions you pay attention to. You give expression to the impression and more happens. You get that one little verse that comes to your heart when you're praying for that guy. You say the verse, the guy looks up, and then you say another phrase, and then the guy goes, that's God. You think, it was just a verse that came to my mind. It wasn't even a big deal. But you just keep following it, and the Lord does more and more. Paragraph I, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will be with you. That's one thing, but he'll be in you. That's even more dynamic than being with you, but we don't have to pick between the two. We can have both. Now, the idea of the Spirit in us, Hebrews 10, he writes, instead of the word the law, just put the, he writes the word of God. 
He writes the word on our hearts and on our minds. What's that mean? You know, in, in, the, uh, in the story of Moses, when Moses went up on the mountain, the very finger of God wrote with fire on the stones, the, the uh, Ten Commandments. You know, the five on one tablet, the five on the other. That, that's the Holy Spirit. That same finger of God, when you're reading the Bible, he's writing on your mind. That means you go, oh, I understand that. Like a new idea comes, a new insight. He goes, I'm writing it on your mind. You didn't get that because you're smart. You get that because I gave you another impression. And I'm not only going to write it on your mind, I'm going to write it on your heart, meaning I'm going to stir your emotions up. I'm going to realign your emotions according. As you talk to me, I'll give you living understanding, just little fragments of it, hearing little installments of it. Then your emotions will be impacted by that living understanding. That's God's finger writing on the mind and the heart. And you can have more and more of that if you want it. If you open the Bible and talk to him, he'll write on your mind and your heart more and more. But he's not just in us. He's with us. I like Isaiah 52. The Lord will go before you, meaning he'll bless circumstances before you get to the situation. He's already organized things before you showed up. And he will be your rear guard. He'll be guarding your circumstances and your blind side. You can't see the enemy coming from behind. He says, I'll go ahead of you and set up to open and shut doors and rearrange things. And you'll walk into him and say, well, that was amazing. Look at this. All kinds of little ways in your life. The Lord says, I'll go before you. I'm with you. Well, how did that guy, this, that door open at this time? Like, Cool. Lord says, oh, it's more than that. I love you. I do this all the time. You just don't see as much as I'm doing. And we don't have any idea how many things behind us that he's protected us from. He's guarded us. I like Song of Solomon. I believe it's chapter 2, verse 7. The bride, the Shulamite bride says that he embraces me with his right hand and his left hand. The right hand is the when we see his activity in front of us. The left hand is the things he does in our life that we don't perceive while he's doing it. The left hand of God. It's, he's behind us, guarding us. None of us have any idea how many negative things we've avoided because the Lord intervened in, in a way that we're not even that aware of. But in the age to come, my guess is he'll, he'll unpack all of it to us. Just over the... Over the years, forever and forever, I'll say, you know, back then, did you, you didn't even know I did this. Sometimes we see that activity, that, that, that unperceived activity that guarded us. We find out later and go, wow. But many times, the activity that's in front of us, he arranges the circumstances. And we walk right into them. And we go, boy, that was a great situation. Many small things and many big things. Many small things, many big things. He's with us. Paragraph J. Now he restates the blessing of being with them, but now he restates it in family language instead of legal language. Because in verse 16 and 17, he was talking about a paraclete. That's legal language in the court system, the defense attorney standing up for you, speaking up for you. And it goes beyond that, but now he says, let's now shift the analogy. And I'm talking, you're not an orphan in the family. You're not a vulnerable orphan. You're a beloved son or daughter is who you are. You're not an orphan. Orphans often feel alone. They feel helpless. He goes, you're not alone and you're not helpless. I am with you through that paraclete, through the Holy Spirit. 
The orphans often can feel without direction or protection or provision. I think of the millions of orphans in the earth. There's so many crisis situations of orphans in the earth. I mean, all over the world in war-torn situations and, and beyond that as well. They alone, helpless, can't provide, can't protect. They don't have direction. They have no sense of belonging. Jesus is saying, I will make sure the opposite of all of that is happening. Not only is the paraclete with you as, a, as a, your defense attorney, your a legal term, but you're going to be a beloved son and daughter in my family, under my care, and the Holy Spirit will administrate that care. Then he says in paragraph K, he goes, I will come to you. And then I have the three ways, we've mentioned that before, that he would come to them. I mean, ultimately, he comes at the second coming. He says, I'm coming back for you. But then he's told the, the apostles, I'm, you're going to see me real soon. After his death and resurrection, he appeared to them a number of times over 40 days in his resurrected body. He came back to them. But for the, for the majority of their life, I mean, the many, many years ahead, the decades ahead, he's going to come to them in the spirit. And that's what he's emphasizing right now, coming to them by the indwelling spirit and being closer to them than he was right there in the natural with them. Top of page three. Paragraph, Roman numeral, the next Roman numeral, Jesus' disciples called to live in deep union with God. Now he's going to talk about coming to them spiritually. He goes, I am coming to you at the second coming. He told them about that on Tuesday. This is Thursday. You know, in Matthew 24 and 25, I'm coming in the sky. And he's already mentioned a couple times, when I'm gone, I will appear to you soon. And he did it for 40 days after his resurrection a number of times. But this is the one that's going to be the prominent reality in their life for the decades to come. And this is what is yet in our lives at this point in time in history. He comes to us in spiritual union. He touches our heart. He touches our mind. And he causes what is on his mind and heart to impact and move us. And what's on our mind and heart, it moves him. It's this Again, some call it the mystical union, the connection by the Spirit. Beloved, that your words actually move him. We think, not really. No, really. And his words actually move us when we get them into conversation with him. In, in the phrase that I uh, uh, have said so many often, whatever the promise is, say, thank you, Lord, show me more. <laughs> Just start talking to him about that promise. Like it says, I will not leave you as an orphan. Thank you, Lord, show, show me more. I will come as the paraclete. Thank you, Lord, show me more. I will come as the spirit of truth. Thank you, Lord, show me more. I will not leave you alone. Thank you, Lord, show me more. Talk to him about every little phrase and every promise, and he has much more to say about every one of them. Here in paragraph A, he's, or here we are in verse 19, he says, a little while longer, the world will see me no more, meaning I'm dying tomorrow, literally within 24 hours. They won't see me physically anymore. Now, again, the, the, the apostles, they're not even connected fully that he's going to die tomorrow. He is saying it and quite a few times, but they're still not getting it, that he's dying tomorrow. He goes, the world won't see me. That's code for I will be dead. 
And he said it real direct a number of times. He goes, but, and this kind of really energizes it, you will see me. They're going, oh, okay, I guess you're maybe going away for the weekend and coming back. No, no, you'll see me because I'm going to stand before you with a physical resurrected human body. You will see me. I'll walk through the wall. I'll eat a meal with you and then walk through the wall again. You will see me. And they're going, yeah, we think we know what you mean. They, they didn't. Because a little while later, one of the apostles said, well, how come the world won't see you, but we will? <laughs> Jesus is thinking, you don't really understand you're going to see me spiritually when I dwell in you, and you're going to see me in my resurrected glory the few times I appear to you. That's what I mean. But he doesn't get that. That's in verse 22. I'm getting ahead of myself. He says, but here's the good news. Not only will you see me in my resurrected body, let, let me go up a notch. Because I live, you will have a resurrected body too. You're going to live too. Because I live, you're going to have power in your heart and mind between now and your physical death, but then you'll live forever like I will live forever. So not only will you see me, you will have a body like me forever for billions of years. He's kind of going to the big picture. I don't think they're grasping it right then. He goes, you will see me and you will live because I live. You'll live forever because I live forever in a physical body. You know that you'll have a physical body forever. I mean, if you die today, your, your spirit, man, goes before the Lord. You don't have a physical body in heaven, but the second coming, you have a spiritual body, but not a physical one. But at the second coming, that God joins our spiritual body, he raises all the believers from the dead throughout history and gives them a physical body at his return. You will have a physical body forever. You'll eat food, you'll have friends, You'll learn, you'll teach people, you'll have activities that, are, that bring improvement to the world. I mean, God will use you to bring increased blessing to others forever. I mean, it's the most exciting thing imaginable, being a believer under Jesus' leadership connected to him. Now he says one of the most dramatic statements right here. He says, at that day, you will know that I am in the Father, you are in me, and I am in you. Verse 20 is the climactic statement of John 14. They look at him. He says, on that day, on the resurrection day, on Sunday, because this is Thursday night, and then on the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, you're going to know after those two days, that day can refer to both of them, you're going to understand the dramatic thing I'm telling you. Because in verse 10 and 11, you might not remember those verses because if you're not studying it real intense, you might lose sight of some of the verses, but verse 10 and 11 in John 14, he says, I am in the Father, the Father's in me. And then that blows their mind because Jesus is a physical man, a human being. He goes, the God of Israel is in you and you're in him? Are you, what? That was a new idea. Like he's in you and you're in him? That's verse 10 and 11. And that really threw them off because they don't have any idea that the God of Israel could be inside of a human being. Now in verse 20, he brings it to a whole nother level. He goes, it's not only I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. It's more intense than that. It's I'm in you and you're in me and we're in the Father. Like, what are you talking about? That's the ultimate statement that he declares to them here. And then in John 15, he unpacks it in a deep way. 
And you want to, though you may not, I mean, we don't understand that much about verse 20, but I got a little bit here. You want to take verse 20, engage it in conversation. Say, thank you. Show me more. There is no more dramatic statement that I know of about our life than verse 20, except for the Jesus loves us like the Father loves him. I mean, that, I mean, I put them all as number one, you know. <laughs> I am in the Father, what? Verse B, uh, paragraph B goes, in that day, you'll come to know this is true. Right now, I'm completely confusing you, he would say. Right now, you don't even believe the Father's in me and I'm in the Father, let alone I'm in you and you're gonna be in me pretty soon. Forever. I mean, this is so new, and this, this is ground zero top leadership of the body of Christ in history to launch the church, and on day one here, they're still completely unaware of what's going on. But they, they learn in time. It works. Jesus' resurrection appearance has convinced them he's in the Father and the Father's in him. They go, you are in the Father, Father's in him. And when then the Spirit comes on them on Pentecost, you are in me and I am in you. Oh my goodness, I'm talking and your heart's moved. You're talking, my heart's moved. Your power's moving in me. You're around me, I don't see you, but I feel you. That was all real what you told us at the upper room. Now this isn't just for them, this is for all believers. We're just gonna spend a little bit more time on paragraph, page three and then we'll end. Paragraph one, when he said, you are in me and I am you, here in verse 20, He's adding to what he said. I just mentioned it back in verse 10. In verse 10, he said, I'm in the Father, the Father said me. Now he's adding another dimension. This was totally new to them. I mean, him being in the Father and the Father being in him was new to them at verse 10. Now they're involved in this relationship is brand new, completely off the grid to them. Paragraph two, it's the most glorious statement. It's one of the most glorious statements of the scripture. Here's what's happening. Jesus is applying Catch this now, paragraph two. The relational reality he enjoyed with the Father in his humanity, he's applying it to our relationship with the Father. This is so big. And we, we, we don't get the benefit of it without talking to the Spirit and engaging with him as a priority in our life. We don't get this kind of, you know, deep with Jesus on the run. It doesn't work that way. He goes, if you really want more of this and it's the most important thing in your life, then rearrange some things and, and start in a new way. Go deeper with me. And in any season of my life, I can always rearrange a few things, you know? Like, I mean, that, I think that exhortation could fit for anybody any season of their life. There's always something more the Holy Spirit might say, I can go deeper with you if you want to. So always ask him. I'm gonna read ver uh, paragraph two again. Chapter 14, verse 20 is one of the most glorious statements in the scripture. He applied the relational reality that he enjoyed with the Father in his humanity. He applied it to our relationship with God. Now, Jesus, as God, has things with the Father in their deity together that's beyond us. But he's talking about, as a man filled with the Spirit, I relate to the Father this way, and so can you. That's where it's going. But I believe the end time church, these things are gonna come to fullness before the Lord returns. I mean, all through history, there's just been little whispers of it and you know, little manifestations of it at various times of history and revivals. But I believe the end time church, the John 13 to 17 reality is going to come to fullness. Paragraph C, 
We're gonna actually end with this, paragraph C. I'm gonna have the worship team come up. Jesus developed verse 14, I mean verse 20, in chapter 15. He unpacks it a lot more in chapter 15, verses one to, uh, one to 11. And I give a little bit of it here, because this is the last session for some of the interns, I mean for the interns, and I wanted to put a little bit on the page. And so next week we'll break this down a little bit more, and then we'll look at some uh, um, more of those verses. I mean, there's dynamic verses coming after this. I just put little hints of it on the page there to kind of give you kind of a running start with it, but we'll unpack that more next week. So I don't want to go so fast through this stuff because it's too, it's exciting, but more than that, it's important. It's too important to just kind of, oh, I think I got it. No, no, we don't have it unless we're engaged in the conversation in a greater way with the Lord. When we're convinced at that, then we're starting to get it. So amen and amen. Let's stand before the Lord here. So next Friday is our final class in this session in this course and the final Friday night for the holiday season then we'll pick it up after the first of the year and we'll be looking at John 15 in our next course I'm going to ask our intern leaders to come on up here on the stage with me we're going to pray for the fire in the night and the one thing interns let's just have them all come stand on this front line here just all the way across come to the front line first as you know you've been here for a while so the folks that come up behind you can be in the second line you want to grab a mic more yeah I'm, yeah there you go no that's good i'll take you up here too yeah just stand on that line and look at look at us no the interns look at us the leaders look at the interns I'm going to wait for the interns at Fire in the Night and one thing to come up here. So the leaders are going to pray for them. So I'm not, we're not praying for the leaders right now. The leaders are doing the praying, yeah. Okay, we're a little confused here. I want the interns to be on this line right here. Come on. And the people praying for them take a step back and lay hands on them. And the other, no, not so jammed together. That's why we have two lines there. <laughs> the point, I'm trying to give you room, space, not jamming you together so you can't move around. You think after five yeah. months, we would just one group enough. here and one group there, and the leaders will just move in and out of you. So, yeah, spread out. So We've done this lots of times, yeah. <laughs> there you go. And spread out. You don't, you, you got to give yourself a little bit of room. Yeah. We got lots of space here. There you go. I'm going to invite others in the room as well. I just wanted the leaders to be here first. Anyone in the room, we're just going to just pray and just kind of marinate and just soaking prayer over them. And leader, just move around and pray for whoever. Just move around, pray for a couple of minutes, this one, a couple of minutes, that one. And if a verse, pray a verse over them. You don't have to every time. And I'm, I don't mean you have to claim it's prophetic. Just any verse that comes to mind, you don't have to quote it exactly. You don't have to give the address. Just say, God loves you and his mercy is going to increase. Just pray Bible truths over them. And I'm telling you, you will be surprised how many times. That will be exactly what they were talking about just yesterday to the Lord or this morning. Okay, we're going to worship for a few moments. Invite the Holy Spirit. Again, more folks in the room, come on up here.
Yeah, I'm we as a spiritual family, we just want to get around these ones. They've yeah. been here, so just finished their one thing internship or fire in the night internship. And so as a spiritual family, we just want to get around and there lay hands on them, send them out. See, that's why I want to give them. them room here. Yeah. So, so you can get around them and move around and pray. Just pray any Bible truth over them. Just speak it over them. You don't have to say the Lord says. Just pray the verse over them. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you right now, just come like wind, come like fire. We're going to just go right back into worship. We're going to just camp out here for a few minutes. We love you. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask you to mark their heart by the power of God. Give them leadership direction. Them. Stay with us. 
Come fire, Lord. Lord, we call forth those yearnings to full blossom.
prophetic impressions We want to sense you, God In fellowship with you, Spirit Fellowship with you, Spirit The conversation, it doesn't end Let us know each other We'll talk to you, you talk to us. Let us fellowship Holy Spirit. You talk to me. More and more, Lord. Let, Let us, us talk to you. Together. I talk to you, you talk to me. Let us fellowship together. I talk to you, you talk. Holy Spirit, you are the helper. Come and help us. Let us fellowship Help us to love together. you, to know you, to, to you, move in the spirit. Help us, Holy Spirit, more Let and more. Thank you. Together. I talk to you, you talk to me, Holy Spirit. Let us fellowship together. Again, just any Bible truth, just speak it in their ear. You don't have to say, thus says the Lord, just speak it over them. The simplest truth, just speak it. Pour out your spirit. We're ready. We're 
Let this be. 